Ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name is Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here again to do another round of what happened between 1970 and 1975. Oh yeah, I'm so excited. Can can you just not hide it? <laughs> I just can't hide it. And I know, and I know something, something, something. Are you about to lose control? Yeah, that's what I and was. You about just can't to fight it. I just cannot fight it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So let's just jump right into this. Uh, we start now with Marvel Team Up number four. Indeed, the September nineteen seventy two issue featuring Spider Man and the X Men. We actually get to see the whole X-Men team for once, which I don't think we, we've really seen yet. There's no beast on the cover, but I guess that just goes without saying. And this, technically, this came out in September 1972, so it was going on at the same time as the Beast Saga that we covered Correct. in the last episode, which well, there will be a note for that as well. <laughs> on the cover, it's it's... Uh, Spider-Man spinning his webs and Angel flying behind him, but it looks like Angel's holding on to Spider-Man's uh, web. It's like he's yanking it away. You think you can web of that? No way! Oh, and this is kind of like the birth of a lot of text balloons on the covers of uh, comic books, I'm noticing. Uh, I don't know about that. I think that's that's always been around. I mean, Fantastic Four number one had, like, Everybody's saying something. Oh, well, maybe it's just because I'm used to the X-Men, where I think up to 66 there were no word balloons. And in almost all of these comic books, there's word balloons on the cover. I think it waxes and wanes, mm. depending on what they think people are going to buy. And I noticed, I don't remember what comic book I was reading, but something during the time was talking about how many uh, word balloons there were on the cover and, and how people felt that that was unnecessary. But it must have been working because they kept doing it. Yeah, and, and there's a whole science to it that I don't fully understand or wonder if it's actually a science. I have no idea. Or if it's just Stan Lee saying, well, maybe this will work. <laughs> I got an idea, spider friends. <laughs> let's put word balloons on the cover. Well, anyways, let's open this thing up. Uh, we're kind of coming in the middle of a story here, and we're not going to cover it in too in-depth. I guess we should say that Gil Kane is the penciler, Gary, Jerry Conway is the scripter, uh, Steve Mitchell is inking, and uh, anyways, it's a it's a Morbius story. This one's titled "And Then the X Men." It's a Spidey and the X Men together. Yeah, it's kind of got two titles. Oh, right? and then the X Men, and then the cover. <laughs> it's the Mark of the Mutants. There's like three titles to this book. I'm going with "And Then the X Men." All right, fine. Uh, and and I guess Spider-Man was attacked and uh, contaminated by whatever Morbius has. He's like a like a vampire of some sort. Yeah, by Morbius the vampire. Yeah. Remember a couple weeks ago we were discussing how the comics code wouldn't allow vampires. Yes. Well, well that had been overturned, <laughs> and with it came a 
plethora of Marvel vampire characters, including Morbius. Sweet. Well, Peter is not having a good time. He's having a bad dream. Harry comes in. They have a little little fight or something. So Peter decides that the only way that he can overcome his sickness is to get out of bed, put on a spider suit, and swing around. Which is what, you know, that's typical Peter Parker. <laughs> it makes no sense. I mean, don't you think it's like rest, relaxation, and chicken soup? Unless this fever has made me slightly paranoid, it's got something to do with a vampire called Morbius. So he feels like he's sick because of something, and so he better go confront it or he's not going to get well. Yep. Let's face it, he's right. Yep. Meanwhile, Morbius finds this scientist guy. I can't remember. Oh, uh, Professor Hans Jorgensen. There's. And uh, long story short, he kidnaps him. Yes. Professor Hans Jorgensen has something to do with, uh, what's the guy's name? Michael something or other's transformation into Morbius. Isn't his name just Michael Morbius? Oh, yeah, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and something about the biological chemical which reversed the deterioration of my white blood cells, transforming me into a hollow bone shadow of my formal self, a self you shall aid me to regain. So he wants to not be a vampire anymore. That's cool. Oh, well, I wonder why Spider-Man's trying to stop this. Um, I think Spider-Man's just caught up in the middle of something that he doesn't fully understand. Could be. Well, Spider-Man goes to pay a, a visit to Professor Jorgensen, only to find out that the professor is missing. And I guess the secretary here who lets Spider-Man in comes in and notices that... Uh, yeah, actually, Spider-Man snuck in, and she discovered him hearing a noise above. Well, she assumes that Spider-Man has kidnapped uh, Hans Jorgensen. And apparently uh, the newspapers pick that up and run with it. And then she faints. Yeah. And then so the professor is in his study, and he is reading the newspaper, and he... Professor X. Oh, I'm sorry. I just assumed, uh, but I guess we have a Professor Jorgensen, so... Uh, Apparently Michael Morbius was a former colleague and student of Professor X's. Yeah, he's, he's a colleague of Hans... And Michael Morbius is Hans's student. Oh, okay, okay. And so he feels that there must be a connection, and he's going to look into it because he likes Hans Jorgensen, I guess. They were were old buddies. And uh, so he calls his X-Men. Angel and Iceman are in the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary podcast, fighting some things. It should be noted here that... The angel uh, is wearing his old blue and yellow costume, as is actually, as are all of the X-Men. Yes, that is true. They have reverted back to their original costumes. So the first few kind of make sense. It's uh, Iceman and Angel in the danger room wearing their costumes. Marvel Girls in the library or something uh, reading a book, telepath or telekinetically, I should say. And she's in her costume, and that's okay. That makes sense. Like maybe she just got done with her danger room session, and she's just relaxing with a book. Cyclops, on the other hand, is in the garden <laughs> taking a walk in his X-Man uniform. Looks like he picked a flower. It does look like he picked a flower. It just doesn't make any sense. And I think that they're also somewhere in here, either earlier or in the future, they'll talk about how they're trying to keep a low profile. Why are they just wandering around in their X-Men uniforms? Well, the professor having contacted Cyclops attempts to contact Beast at the Brand Laboratory. And, uh, the Beast, we see the Beast sitting at his desk. 
presumably given the time that this takes place, this is probably the, he's wearing a rubber mask. He says, I hear you, professor, and I'm sorry. I can't come. Not now. Asterisk to which the comic tells us that Hank is dealing with his recent transformation into the beast. I know I won't press you, Hank. And yet I cannot help but feel that something's wrong. Please, sir. I've told you before. It's nothing, nothing I can't handle alone. Get out! (laughs) Professor makes one last call to the X-Men, who meet him in wherever he was. The X-Men have changed out of their X-Men uniforms and into their street clothes. Which is odd. Which is very (laughs) odd, right? Because it's usually the opposite. And I gotta say, the X-Men are squarely in the middle of the 70s. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Iceman or Bobby, he's got, like, his shirt is unbuttoned down to his navel. He's got, like, a gold chain. And so does Warren. Warren's got his shirt unbuttoned. Not down to his navel, but he's doing the sport coat with, like, a, a dress shirt underneath it, but the dress shirt's open, then, like, the top two buttons are open. Jean Grey's got, like, the super tight orange sweater, the form-fitting. White pants she's got. Uh, Bobby and Angel also have feathered haircuts, and I don't know what's going on with uh, Cyclops. No, he's just wearing a suit. But he's got like a big wisp of like, I don't want to call it like a like a Beatles style haircut, but like a big wisp of hair that's going down. He's got a quaff. There you go, a quaff of hair. What's the score, Professor? Angel asks. An old colleague of mine was kidnapped last evening, taken to claim by the costumed vigilante called Spider-Man. What do you want us to do exactly, Prof? Go get him. <laughs> they're a little skeptical, but, you know, whatever. They're, they're going to head out. They'll, they'll take off. Uh, so they, they do take off, and uh, before too long, the professor's wheelchair tips over. <laughs> and he's laying on the side of the floor. Oh, wait a minute. Is that just a weird perspective? <laughs> I hope the X-Men come back soon. He looks all, well, I mean, it's like a top-down shot, and there's a shadow underneath his wheel. So it makes it look like he's in the middle of tipping over. It's a very funny panel. It's- it's pretty bad. <laughs> so what we already get, what we've gathered here is that the X Men are not doing anything unless absolutely like something weird happens. They're they're making a low profile, but they're staying in shape. Oh, one other thing I want to point out is uh, Marvel Girl is generally known for her red, uh, full hair, and in this uh, she's got very straight, um, very straight hair, and it's uh, something that you generally don't see hairstyle wise in Marvel Girl. It really, it's very 70s, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. It's like kind of feathered out. I wouldn't say it's Farrah Fawcett-like because it's, uh, it's much longer than that. But, uh, yeah. Anyways. Maybe Joan Baez or something. That rack is amazing. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's like a ridiculous model. <laughs> it's, it's, she's very – like she was drawn after a Barbie doll or something like that. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, Spider-Man is swinging along, and he notices that his uh, webbing isn't acting quite right. And it snaps. And uh, it's because a shirtless angel, and wasn't he shirtless in one of the issues we read recently? This takes place before that. but oh, okay. But, yeah, he was shirtless when he went to find the beast. So this is his new costume, is just to be completely shirtless. Pretty much. And it's odd... Uh, how the X-Men or the X-Men started off in their costumes at the beginning of this issue, they won't wear them for the rest of the issue. 
Well, they got to go undercover. And, and and Angel, he doesn't wear a shirt for the rest of the issue, I don't think. <laughs> Just so weird. Do you think that they're trying to get like a, a female audience with this one? No. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, anyways. I think uh, it's interesting that Angel is able to snap Spider-Man's web. I thought Spider-Man's web was like unbreakable and then it dissolved after an hour or something like that. Yeah, I mean, you think if Angel could do this, then certainly the Vulture could do this and then Spider-Man wouldn't have a chance. So it's a little weird. Yeah. Well, anyways, uh, the X-Men fight Spider-Man, basically. They do some teamwork and cooperations. Spider-Man kind of kicks the butt of Angel, who is saved by telekinesis through Jean Grey, who says, little lady, I could kiss you for that. And then Cyclops says, just try it, Warren. Just try. (laughs) Cyclops is blasting at Spider-Man. Marvel Girl acutely points out that it's like he can sense those blasts before they strike. He must have some sort of spider sense. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. They fight some more, but basically Marvel Girl, uh, just like she always does, comes in and uh, saves the day, so to say. She freezes him in a telekinetic uh, bubble of sorts. I did it, Scott, but I can't hold him for long. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, what's that? Do spiders really have sense? Well, I don't know. I no. I mean, they don't. They certainly don't have like precognition. But haven't you ever like gone to go swat a spider and it, like jumps out of your way? Like, seems like it can kind of sense what you're about to do. I don't know. You've never really been into the spider sense. I I, I see. Yeah, I've definitely I've definitely seen spiders jump out of the way. Well, I don't know. Well, I mean, they, spiders don't have precognition, obviously. Spiders, you know, they're sensing, like, the, the wind or, or, or what, whatever else that's, you know, giving them a heads up that they need to do a jump. And I think that that's what the spider sense is supposed to represent. This uh, lower <laughs> left-hand panel with Gene Scott and Spider-Man could make an excellent album cover. Totally. If they were, like, if they were like a band. Oh, my gosh. And Scott's, like, the lead singer... Marvel Girl's the bass player, and uh, Spider-Man, I don't know, drums? Drummers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Cyclops is just... Actually, dead. I think Cyclops is the keyboardist, Marvel Girl <laughs> is the lead singer, and Spider-Man still plays the drums. Well, Marvel Girl is standing behind Cyclops, but she's got like kind of a sexy side pose where she's looking down and she's scowling. She's clearly the center of the frame, even though she's not in the center of the frame. Uh, Therefore, she's the lead singer. Okay, all right. That's that's my thought. Oh, maybe it's kind of like a, uh, she's like uh, she knows she's the front man, so she kind of pushes the others ahead of her. Like you get some face time, but you know when it comes down to it, they're all going to be looking at me. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cyclops is he's got that long jacket that's like orange, and he's also scowling, looking down through his glasses. It's a very cool panel. <laughs> I like it. I do too. <clears throat> so anyways, uh Spider-Man, he's not really up for conversation. Uh, in fact, he just passes out. I think I'm going to black out. It's the effect of I, don't, I guess he get he got bit by Morbius or touched Morbius or something, but at at any rate, the chemicals that are turning uh that turned Michael Morbius into a vampire seem to be affecting Spider-Man in the same way. So the professor chimes in and says, uh, well, he just kind of looks at the X-Men, and the X-Men realize that they should take Spider-Man back to the mansion. So they do. 
Professor X, he turns into a gargoyle here on this third panel. <laughs> uh, and he reads, uh, basically reads Spider-Man's mind and learns everything about him except that he is P- Peter Parker. And realizes that uh, Spider-Man is not the enemy. Michael Morbius is the enemy. Oh, no. Oh, and uh, Spider-Man has only four hours to live unless they can find the antidote for the toxin in his blood. Ah, so there was, there was, I think, an issue 100 of Spider-Man. Spider-Man gets eight, well, six arms and two legs, so he becomes a spider. Really? Yes. And then the... Michael Morbius creates a toxin to remove the four freak arms and Dr. Kirk Connors performs it. And as a result, Spider-Man is sick. So that's what I think is leading up to this. Did you read this is not an issue of Spider-Man. Did you read that issue or how are you making that connection? I, I am reading from here and also from some vague memory of the, the eight-legged Spider-Man issue 100. Okay. Fiasco. Well, anyways, uh, Professor sends the X-Men out to go find Hans Jorgensen and uh, Michael Morbius as well. And they're apparently Michael Morbius and Hans Jorgensen are holed up in some house somewhere. Yeah, how do they find it? I don't know. Some things happen. Oh, uh, they're just roaming around the city. Uh, Michael Morbius finds some guys, and he's about to feed. And that's when Angel hears a scream, and he heads off towards the... He gets the X-Men who are in their convertible, and they head off to the scream. Oh. It's very uh, uh, very nice, very uh, coincidental that that all happened while Angel was flying by. Eh, as is the way. Because I'm sure that was the only noise and scream that was happening in Manhattan at that time of night. <laughs> <laughs> well, they show up just in time to, I think, stop. No, no, no. They, they do not save the man. But apparently the oh, comics really? code is really relaxed. Yeah, it says right here, uh, satiated, his pulse pounding with freshly gained blood. Morbius oh. begins to rise. Well, does that mean he killed him or that he turned him into a vampire? I don't know. I don't know what iteration of vampire here do we have. Is it that he can suck all their blood out and kill them or suck out just enough blood to turn him into a vampire? Who knows? I want to suck your blood. <laughs> Morbius attacks. Uh, and in fact, he actually says, Morbius attacks! <laughs> and the X-Men go flying. And he, Morbius, he, they're fighting. Cyclops blasts him, knocks him into a couple of garbage cans. Uh, Morbius punches Angel in the face and he goes flying. And uh, Marvel Girl is throwing whipping garbage can lids at him. Uh, but eventually Morbius captures Marvel Girl and they have um, a showdown between Cyclops and Morbius with Marvel Girl in between. Cyclops uses his amazing super skills to blast a mirror conveniently placed behind Morbius that then bounces into Morbius's back, knocking him unconscious. Which doesn't make any sense. As we've talked about in the past, Cyclops doesn't fire lasers from his eyes. He fires a force beam. So all that would have happened when he blasted that mirror is that mirror would have gone flying. Yeah, it's true. Anyways, apparently he got lucky and uh, the blast knocks out Morbius um, how do we find Professor Morganson? Morbius is unconscious. 
Quiet, Bobby, there is a way. Dangerous, perhaps, but effective. Gene, blank your thought. I want you to try to connect with Morbius. Through you, I can probe his subconscious. So they figure out where Dr. Morganson is, and Angel flies him back to the... Or Jorgensen. (laughs) And Angel flies Morbius back to the lab, and the rest of them drive Jorgensen to the lab. And uh, the next thing Spider-Man knows is he's waking up and he's cured. I'd just like to point out that the prof- it's very quickly wrapped up here. Uh, where is it, Gene? Gene, I'm connecting you subconsciously. Do you see it? Yes, there, in that building. They make a much bigger deal out of Marvel Girl's role in this whole thing than I actually see in the comic book. <laughs> because Spider-Man's like, uh, oh, thank you, everybody, for your help. And everyone's like, well, it wasn't us. Nope, it certainly wasn't us. Nope, it was Marvel Girl. And uh, he fly, he lunges at her, <laughs> pulls his mask up a little bit, and smooches her on the face. I can't really thank all of you guys, but as for the lady, I can thank her. So he steals a kiss from Cyclops' girl and then jumps out of a window. <laughs> How rude. <laughs> Seriously. That's two. Two rudes in one. Uh, and uh, Marvel Girl's all like, well, sir, I suppose that ties it up, doesn't it? She's touching her lips. Well, it's, I, Peter Parker's a heck of a kisser. But then the professor says, I wonder, Gene, I truly wonder. As he stares vacantly at Morbius. Eh, it's just a little tale of Spider-Man and the X-Men, and honestly, it doesn't really add anything to the stories between, but it is another adventure that the X-Men had. So now we cut to... Avengers 102, the August 1972 issue, which the title is like all the way in the middle of the comic book. But we can start in the middle of the comic book anyway because the first half doesn't really matter. There's about 11 pages of Vision trying to figure out if he wants to be a human or not. Something to do with his brother being the Grim Reaper. But then we get to the title. Wait, wait, wait. wait. I do want to point out on page 8, five panels in, I believe... It's, I think, the first nude scene of a woman in a Marvel comic book that I'm aware of existing. And she's, so it's, it's, it's Scarlet Witch. She's just gotten out of the shower. She is wearing some panties, but she's topless. And she's got like this, uh, uh, the blinds are turned. So she's got like uh, so a little bit of flesh tone in between like the, the blind shadows. And her back is arched. It's kind of sexy. You don't think that's a towel? No. Well, there might be a towel around her, her goody bits, but she's topless. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I don't know if, if it's the first or not. It's definitely a possibility. I've never seen Marvel Girl in this sort of seductive pose. Well, her <laughs> issue here, Mag, got canceled. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's the first nude scene in a comic book that I'm aware of. Could be. Could be. Anyways, yes. Yeah, so let's go to page uh, 10. Where the title is... What to do till the Sentinels come. What, the Sentinels? A Sentinel issue? Why, yes. Not just one issue, but three. There's a there's a space station, Starcore 1, which is watching the sun. And on that vessel is a Dr. Peter... Well, I don't think he's on it, is he? Do- Dr. Peter Corbo? 
Spinning endlessly midway between Earth and Venus is the life's dream of Dr. Peter Corbo, designed by him to monitor the sun, to scan it, to find out what makes it tick. So I don't know whether or not he's on the vessel, but I believe he will play a, another important role within the X-Men uh, in the future. Yeah, he, he he's not on the space station. Okay, he's on the Earth or something. Just two guys, Dimitri and Hillary. So uh, they see something orbiting the sun very close, and they can't quite figure out what it is for about four panels. And then it turns out to be the army of sentinels that we previously saw flying towards the sun in X-Men number whatever that was. 40. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, 60? I, I, don't, I don't know what issue it was. Okay. 59? Something like that. 62? It was uh, Neil Adams' uh, first arc, basically. The end of Neil Adams' first arc. When Cyclops tricked them into flying into the sun. So apparently they did not fly into the sun. They've just been orbiting the sun for, well, a few months or something. Or maybe they're, they went into the sun and they're flying out now. The, the one in the lead, who is number two, has some slight... It looks like he got a little melted. Yeah, he got a little too close to the sun, if you know what I mean. But nobody else did, so... It must not have gone in. This is one of the first uh, uh, comic books that has all the titles and uh, uh, credits halfway in. Uh, this is a Roy Thomas Rich Buckler production. Indeed. From an idea suggested by, <gasps> who's this man? Chris Claremont. What? Interesting. It's crazy. <laughs> that guy will never amount to anything. Suggestion. <laughs> hey, guys, you should do a Sentinel issue. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have a book to edit or something? Well, anyways, Earth is getting word of the of a menace that's approaching the Earth. So uh, General Ross is notified, Talbot is notified, and the Avengers are getting their information from the news, but it's very uh, locked down. It's very censored. Just says some, something, whatever it is, heading our way from out of the sun. Quicksilver is among the roster of Avengers at this point, and he's kind of like... Could it be? No. No, it's not even possible. What? What, Pietro? Nothing, never mind. <laughs> it's just a passing thought, a faded memory. Thor's all like, you can't do that to me. <laughs> you know when you start something like that, you gotta tell me. It's gonna bother me all night. Thou knowst I hate that when you doest that. <laughs> <laughs> I shall get us some Oreos and dust thou tell story. God, Thor sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Who can talk like that? Well, anyways, uh, they continue to watch the television, uh, and Quicksilver is getting thoughts from the year, and they list it here in the comic book, a rarity that I like to point out, to the year 1969, thus permanently oh, yeah. locking these events into that year. <laughs> they have a quick uh, uh, recap of what had happened. Uh, X-Men 57 to 59. There you go. So close to 60. And they talk about Bolivar Trask, or Larry Trask, rather. They talk about uh, they were a match for even the X-Men. Uh, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch couldn't do anything. And, uh, you know, maybe the X-Men could help them, but nobody has seen them for months. And surely this beast that's been reported recently isn't the same loquacious beast of the X-Men. But it is, readers. It is. So, some more stuff happened, some drama between Vision and Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Yeah, basically Vision and Scarlet Witch are in love, but they, they won't tell each other because it's weird because he's a robot 
Yeah. And she's a witch. And Quicksilver also does not approve. Also, as a triangle, Clint or Hawkeye is in love with Scarlet Witch. So we got that going on. Yeah, all of this is like taking up way too much of my time in this comic book. <laughs> but anyways, uh, uh, Scarlet Witch goes out on a walk. And uh, while she's sitting in the park, a sentinel approaches and grabs her. Vision sees it and goes after them. He zizzles the sentinel and manages to warn the others that there's uh, trouble afoot. Wanda says, no, stay back, Vision. He's a sentinel. He can adapt in a matter of seconds to any force that hurl, hurl, that's hurled against him. You can't stop him. No one can. This is just a minor point of nitpickery, but I always kind of thought that the Sentinels being the mutant hunters that they are would have mutant sensors and would only be able to sense, detect, and react to mutant-based powers and not an android like Vision is. Maybe that's just me overthinking it. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point. <laughs> well, anyways, it turns out that this Sentinel can do anything he wants to because he eventually learns what Vision's powers are, at least the the eye-blasty parts and blasts yeah, he him does back like a little course. analysis. I am attacked by an android of high specialized design. X-ray Vizzy Probe reveals three decades vintage. Later modification to addition of solar battery. Observes slight weakening due to use of optic heat blast. Deduction, a simple siphoning off of residual solar charge should suffice. <laughs> so Vision, uh, they, they, they mentioned that he's three decades old. So that puts him at like 1942 for a creation. Which I believe he is the human torch from the 40s. Really? That yeah, could be. Cause I think he, so. Because he was a android. Yeah. Okay. Well, and, I, and I think that's exactly what they're kind of subtly hinting in, in this issue that has yet to be revealed, that it turns out that he is the human torch from the 40s. There's also some other weird connections that this body, well, it also says that this body was based on uh, Simon Williams, who's Wonder Man and Wonder Man's right. body. Yeah, yeah there's, and then there's, there's that connection too, which I'm not, I don't fully understand, is that Wonder Man yeah. became Vision. Well, anyways, this isn't the Avengers cast, so who cares about that storyline? <laughs> In comes Quicksilver, and Quicksilver does the only thing he can, which is to run really fast and dive into the back of a sentinel's neck, which the sentinel says was totally ineffectual. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, But, the... you know, Quicksilver's going to keep trying because he's angry, and finally the Avengers show up. <laughs> Vision gets swatted into a lake. <laughs> And the rest of the Avengers throw everything they have at the Sentinel, which does absolutely nothing. And the Sentinel flies up into the air and calls number two for an ultra-linear leap. Whoa. Whoa. Which we see in the next panel is actually some sort of teleportation field. Quicksilver runs up as he's as the as the Sentinel is leaving and says, No, wait, you can't just leave. I am a mutant. Take me too. The Sentinel's like, my order's only called for one mutant and one only deal. Uh, yeah, maybe that's all they can handle. <laughs> so off they go. Uh, Quicksilver's all mad. He's like, he's all mad. <laughs> let's just leave it at that. And the, ex the, the rest of the Avengers are all like, well, let's let's go back to the mansion, get in Quinjet, make a plan, try to find this Sentinel. And Quicksilver's just like all mopey and stuff. I'll do it myself. <laughs> I, Pietro, shall track the Sentinel to the lair, and when I'll have tracked them down, I'll, I'll, 
collapse into a pile of sadness. Oh, woe is Pietro. <laughs> Next issue, The Hill. Yep, that takes us to Avengers number 103. Which would be the September 1972 issue. On the cover it says, The Sentinels Strike. And yet it's titled, The Sentinels Are Alive and Well. Or, so says Tony Stark, who has now entered the fight. Well, he was there before. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah, he, he tried to rescue uh, Wanda by stealing her out of the Sentinel's hand. I really feel like between Thor and Iron Man, they could probably just take the Sentinels. But uh, apparently yeah, they well, can't. We'll, I, mean, I guess we'll see. We'll see. Well, they could have taken that last Sentinel. Oh, they didn't. Well, any, yeah, you're right. This is uh, Roy Thomas, a uh, writer again, and a rich buckler artist, I believe, again. Yep. So they're in the mansion, and they're downloading as much data as they can possibly find on the Sentinels. And they are formulating some sort of plan. They're kind of annoyed that Quicksilver's not around. His chair is empty. Why? Quicksilver's on the highway running somewhere. He doesn't know where he's running to, but he's running and running and running. Oh, I know where he's running to. He's running to the old fortress of the Sentinels. And he gets there, and he realizes nobody's there. Oh, no. No! Empty. And I kind of thought that at first, like, this was, like, maybe the Sentinels were actually here, but he was just too blind to see it. Like, he was too, like, crazy to see it. Uh, but no. They they do go to uh, great pains to show all the cobwebs and dust trails. and. But I thought all that was in his mind. I thought the story was going to be that the Sentinels were, like, totally here and stuff, and he was going to go back to the Avengers and be like, I don't know where they are. We need to find my sister. But I was totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> he is more than just another mutant. He is also an Avenger. And for such as they, despair is but one more hurdle to be leaped, one more wall to be smashed into rubble. Yes, the chamber is empty, but they were here. They were! Maybe that's where I got this, like, oh, they were just here, but... Anyways, uh, they weren't. So he is trying to recall what exactly happened after the X-Men defeated the Sentinels. He determines that the Sentinels took all of the glass cylinders... And then he starts having a flashback back to Larry Trask and Dr. Ch uh, Judge Chalmers, mm -hmm. Blob and Mastermind and Vanisher. Everybody's arguing. They're trying to figure out like what they're going to do next. Like, I think they're trying to form up another evil mutant group and they're trying to figure out maybe who's going to lead it or something like that. But uh, the one person who's going to come to his senses is the toad who jumps in between everybody who's arguing and says, the humans don't like us, and here we are fighting with one another. Let's just go. And uh, Judge Chalmers is like, yeah, that's that's pretty sound advice. You should do that. Listen to him. The one you call the Toad speaks the truth. You know, Mastermind and Blob and Eunice are like, come with us, Toad. And Toad's like, nah, I'm going to go with Wanda and Pietro. Good choice. <laughs> they do. They all kind of go their separate way. Um which begs the question, what the hell happened to the Toad? He's not an Avenger. <laughs> it was a very brief moment. <laughs> All three of them showed up at Avengers Mansion, and uh, Tony's like, you, you, and uh, uh, you, the hunchback guy, no. But Iron Man, I want to be an Avenger. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, anyway, so they go their separate way, and... Um, and that's when Quicksilver finishes his flashback and says, Larry Trask, that's it! 
Well, Quicksilver also in his flashback remembers offering to help out with Larry Trask. And, of course, Judge Chalmers like, no, we can handle it. So I think that's kind of like the, oh, yeah, Larry Trask. I remember that name. And that's when he is going to ask for his help or make him live to regret his life or something. So he runs all the way to Larry Trask's house. Somehow he knows that uh, he knows where Judge Chalmers lives. Once I recalled that Judge Chalmers lived on, on Long Island, it wasn't hard to learn his address at 5 Rigo Avenue. I'll make him tell me where Larry Trask is by any means if I, by necessary. Well, He's in the pool! It turns out that Larry Trask lives with Judge Chalmers. <laughs> <laughs> That's convenient. He's still wearing that crazy medallion. He gets out and uh, he's all like, Judge Chalmers, I want to remember. Why can't I remember? Judge Chalmers is like, it's you better not remember for both our sakes. Which at that moment, Quicksilver jumps in. So you got to wonder, like, do they always have this conversation? And this is the time <laughs> where <day>. quick, <laughs> just like every couple of hours. <laughs> Judge Chalmers is like, Larry, for God's sakes, you don't want to know. You touched a little boy. What? <laughs> See, you don't want to know. And then Quicksilver releases this. And he's like, "Oh, thank God." <laughs> Judge Chalmers draws a draws a gun on Quicksilver and says, "No, you're not going to get him while while I'm alive." And uh, Quicksilver slaps it out of his hand and says, uh, and "Just he basically grabs uh, Larry Trask and starts running with him." He's strong. You will, you will learn the answer to that soon, Larry Trask. Soon as I do. And they run away. He's fast, but he's not that fast because the police who are on their way to the Judge Chalmers alar alarm uh, recognize Quicksilver as an Avenger. Uh, and they decide to put an all-points bulletin out on him. Back to the Avengers. They do some basic plotting, planning. They talk to Nick Fury. Nick Fury doesn't know where the Sentinel things are. Uh, the Vision does some sort of flashback to last issue. Involving his brother, the Grim Reaper. Let's move forward to Dr. Peter Corbo, who is monitoring the Star Corps, and he realizes that there's something fatally wrong with the sun. There's these intense flares that seem to be shooting from the sun to uh, somewhere in the Australian desert. Oh. And in a few hours, or every hour, uh, a new flare is evoked. Uh, the next one could be the one which might eradicate virtually all organic life on Earth. You don't say. That's serious. Avengers Assemble, right? Let's let's go do this. Yeah, yeah. They get they go and they get in their jet to go to where the uh, where the solar flares are headed. And poor Rick Jones shows up, and they're all like, "I guess he's Marvel guy now, Captain Marvel." No, he's a he's a human. Nobody's Captain Marvel. Do they do they know he's Captain Marvel? I think so. Oh, because they're like, you're just... The fact remains that you don't have any superpowers, so neither do you, one-man army or not. Take away Hawkeye's bow and arrow, and what have you got? So he, they don't... Either they don't know he's Captain Marvel, or he's not Captain Marvel at this point. Well, they say that was a one-shot deal, son, with oh. the help of an alien supermind, and you know it. <laughs> Well, anyways. So they don't believe he's ever going to be Captain Marvel again. But then we get a little blurb saying, you don't know it, Rick Jones, but equally momentous events await you in the pulse-pounding pages of the reborn Captain Marvel mag. <gasps> so he's about to be reborn. Yay. 
I just thought it was kind of funny that they throw these four panels of, hey, guys. No, get out of here. <laughs> oh. Anyways, they take their Quinjet and they're flying off to Australia, but they don't think that they can make it that fast, but they've devised a new type of engine. <laughs> yes. It, it involves sticking Thor's hammer in the engine. <laughs> I don't know. Is he like, like, what is he doing? Is he like pounding it up and down really fast or is he just... <laughs> Super Mjolnir charging the engine. Yeah, maybe it's pounding it up and down. I like that. <laughs> They're like, Thor, could you pound a little faster? We're, we're slowing down. So uh, anyways, Quicksilver and uh, Larry Trask, they've run into the woods or something. and Larry Trask doesn't remember any of this, and that's when Quicksilver whips the amulet off of him. Suddenly, Larry Trask's mutant power to detect the future comes screaming back to him and he collapses to the ground. Yeah. He's all screaming. Yeah. I'll give it back. I'm seeing things in the name of heaven. Give it to me. So Quicksilver, I think is trying to use this to say, use this to remember where the Sentinels are, where your dad had another base. And, uh, in, a, in one panel, he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. But the next panel is like, no, wait, now I remember. It's a very quick uh, uh, switch around. God forgive me, I remember everything. Two secret bases, one in New York, and one in Australia. Australia? That's pretty small. <laughs> if you're really right, we may never catch them in time to save Wanda. But Quicksilver grabs Larry and is determined to run there. Yep, he puts <laughs> the amulet back on him and takes off. For if she dies, I swear by God that ever, by every God there ever was, so will the son of the man who created the Sentinels. God, could we just cut to the chase on these? If she dies, I'll kill you. <laughs> Save so many words. The Avengers are now above Australia, and their jet explodes, and they all get out of the jet. How do we know we're in Australia? We get a nice shot of a couple native bushmen. <laughs> Aborigines? You might as well have put like a kangaroo in there. <laughs> but anyways. Yeah, their ship explodes for some reason. There's like a giant anthill. So they fly down to the giant anthill. Um, and a giant sentinel hand comes out and grabs the vision. And it, uh, there's a, then the, the full sentinel comes out and Iron Man blasts it and vision escapes and. Hawkeye fires a plunger arrow at the <laughs> Sentinel. It's a vibro shaft. It came from Tony Stark's labs, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that causes the Sentinel to vibrate, making it very difficult for him to function properly. Yeah. Uh, but the Avengers, they're, they're fighting. Or the Sentinels are fighting back against the Avengers. We shift over now to a, an airplane that is flying to Australia and apparently uh, Pietro has used his Avengers status to commandeer the airplane. What I want to know is, didn't they put an all-points bulletin out on him? Shouldn't his Avengers status have been immediately revoked? Like, he's a fugitive. I guess not. I mean, I, I, he travels faster than, than bureaucracy. <laughs> oh, that well, that could be. It is the 70s, I suppose. Computers aren't that fast. Well, anyways, he is asking Larry Trask to try to figure out what this space warp power was that Sentinel Number 2 had. And Larry has no idea what, what, what this is, but he... Well, at least in one panel, he doesn't. But he says that he's going to try. 
I must think, concentrate on the very idea of a space warp. Then maybe, just maybe, wait, hold it, something's happening. And they space warp. Yeah. You did it, Trask. The landscape outside is different. Somehow you must have mentally intercepted whatever beam is emitted by their power source and... He decides not to tell us what the rest of uh, the the plot was there and say, what's wrong, Trask? His brain's on fire. I remember everything. He's really a mutant. Well, we've already established that. Uh, The amulet uh, holds back his memories. We established that. Uh, We don't actually figure out how he was able to conjure up this space warp, but I guess we are meant to just accept that he did. He gives us a vision of the future as as the final page where... The Sentinel number two, the melty one, is blasting his fellow Avengers to atoms. And then the world, there's one giant final sun flare. And then the world, the earth is destroyed. And then nothing. Nothingness, blackness all around. But what else can I expect to see after the end of the world? Next. Trask's voice breaks into stuttering shobs, and Pietro, too, would perhaps collapse into a wordless whimpering heap if he had not things to do. That's how I feel all the time. Heck yeah. (laughs) We move to Avengers number 104. October 1972. This one's titled, With a Bang and a Whimper. Roy Thomas and Rich Buckler again. With the memory of the Sentinels lingering in Pietro's head, he runs off the airplane with Larry Trask in tow. Quicksilver, in the name of heaven, you've got to slow down. I can't. You can, Larry Trask, and you shall. We must find the lair which your mate the father designed years ago, and we must find it soon. So as he runs... Oh, yeah, no kidding. Just all of that uh, uh, wind burn he's getting right now. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so as he runs, he gets a little flashback of all the events that happened in the last couple of issues. Uh, but for us, he makes it to the anthill just in time to see the Avengers being attacked by the Sentinels. But they are far enough away that um, the Avengers don't notice them. Uh, Quicksilver surmises that there are sometimes secret tunnels leading into anthills, and they go about finding one, which happens fairly quickly. Yep. Back to the Avengers battle with the Sentinel. Yeah, they're just fighting. Lots of fighting. Vision, who previously was knocked out, turns out that he was faking it so that the Sentinels would forget about him and then does a little kitty pride and jumps through them, dismantling their uh, computer brains. Vision's got a lot of powers. Yeah. But yeah, he phases through them, disrupting their electronics, and he does it very quickly so that he can take out two of them before they adjust to his power. And so they do. They fall. The Avengers jump into the anthill and descend down to, I don't know, the heart or something to try to stop whatever's going on. They're hoping to dismantle the device which will cause the solar flare which will incinerate the Earth and also save Wanda. We move down to the next page, and we get a nice little cross-section of the anthill lair. I love these things. They're so cool. This reminds me of G.I. Joe. Yeah, when they would do, like, the pit diagrams. Yeah. Heck, yeah. Too bad the pit kept getting blown up. (laughs) All those fake rooms did them no good. The best thing about the pit diagrams, much like this diagram, is that they were never... 
Like the scale never made any sense. <laughs> Each one of these rooms can hold about five sentinels, and that's it. <laughs> this thing is tiny. <laughs> but anyways, uh, Stan or no Roy, who's editing the comic book, I guess, or I guess writing it, uh, he gives props out to Rich Buckler's uh, diagram. So the script must have just said, "Diagram, go here." <laughs> <laughs> that's what I call a diagram, fellow. So we got the first level, which is uh, got some radar screens and a computer. The second level is a laboratory where they have the mutant life storage tanks, but none of them. No mutants in them. Three Sentinels are there. The third level is the standby squadron with the solar flare device. There's a false floor with an emergency tunnel, which presumably is where Pietro and Larry Trask are coming in. And then we have the very bottom, the fourth level, which is where number two is with the Scarlet Witch. And she is attached to the new data computer analyzer and the mutant energy conductor device. The uh, Avengers, they, they descend. They descend into some Sentinels and they start to fight. But then we cut, we cut down to Sentinel number two, the melty one, who's talking to uh, Wanda, who, was she dressed like this in the last issue? Yeah, she had like an overcoat on or something, so they took that off. But yeah, this was the sexy garb that Quicksilver was all in a rage about. You can't go all like that. <laughs> uh, he's looking more and more melty as he goes, uh, but definitely we're establishing that he's melty. He keeps talking about um, cleansing of uh, of the earth or whatever, so Wanda's like, you got to tell me. Like, you keep talking about cleansing, out with it. Come on. Talk to me. And she also wants to know, why did you only want me instead of all mutants like you usually want? And he reveals to her that he he actually needs, more specifically, a female and that Marvel Girl was unavailable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. But the plot goes something like that. They're going to kind of amp up the sun's radiation to a certain uh, pulse, and the pulse will be designed to cause, it'll cause some um, damage, but that's okay. That's that's collateral damage. They can deal with it. But the ultimate goal is to um, sterilize all human beings on Earth. So the current human beings will be normal. They'll have a little discomfort, but then they'll be okay. But they'll never be able to breed and repopulate. Thus, they will never be able to create mutants. Meanwhile, in their laboratories, they'll be able to genetically create new humans that will be perfectly cleansed of mutant of the of the mutation, and there will be no more mutant problem. That's an interesting plan. Yeah. So the final solution to the mutant problem will take years, perhaps centuries, but after all, we have nothing but time. So that's the plot. And there's a noise uh, out back which distracts number two, so number two takes off. Quicksilver uh, gets to the end of the tunnel. I guess it's a wall. And this gives Larry Trask some time to have some more scenes of death, which we saw in the last panel. To get this door open, Quicksilver decides to run as fast as he can into it to, to crash it open, which works. This door contains a delicate timing mechanism, and if only I can... Yes, I've tripped them. Yeah. <laughs> A door that's meant to, to keep sentinels in or out is, is just easily knocked over by a little man running into it. He runs up to the mutant, or I mean to the sentinel. He wasn't quite expecting to find one this soon because he wanted to find Wanda first. Halt! Stand to and surrender or perish. 
what happens here is Quicksilver is running around and the Sentinel is able to adapt to his power. So the Sentinel is getting just as fast as Quicksilver, and Quicksilver realizes this, that there's not a whole lot he can do to either evade or trick the Sentinel. Uh, but what he does do is he goes faster and faster, and the Sentinel does, and then Quicksilver sacrifices himself by running into a wall after he's kind of spun the Sentinel up, and the Sentinel follows and crashes into the wall and uh, he blows up, basically. And lands on top of Quicksilver. So because of the impact into the wall and the Sentinel landing on top of Quicksilver, he's got a couple of broken ribs, and, well, he's he's not in good shape. He's done for. He's alive, but he's he's out of commission for the rest of this mission. Now hurry, man, hurry. Whatever you do, don't look back. I, I won't. I will stop the Sentinels. I swear I will. So he's gone. Uh, so as he's running, uh, Larry Trask, that is, he runs past a model of the sun and the earth, which is kind of interesting. The Avengers are still fighting more sentinels, making their way down to where Wanda is. They're, they're making good work of them. And, um, they finally, uh, take, they take out all the sentinels they're working on, but then number two shows up. Yep. With and a couple of other uh, sentinels. What's that? With a couple of other sentinels. Yeah. Apparently, uh, appar- Alpha, Beta, Omega. Apparently he is the supreme sentinel uh, taking over the vacant seat uh, that Master Mold left behind. Which I think is a weird uh, reference because with this batch of sentinels, there was no Master Mold. And in fact, the reference here goes back to X-Men number 16. So are we led to believe that these Sentinels existed all along? I don't know. Maybe they were always in Australia. I thought that these this was like Mark... No, well, these, these are the ones that were flying around the sun. So I thought like these were like the Mark II Sentinels. Like Larry Trask was like, I found my father's schematic, so I made some more uh, Sentinels. Yeah I, I, yeah, I don't know. You might be right. But somehow it was all Master Bolt's doing. Well, it usually is, but we—I mean, we—we we made a point to try to find Master Mold in our last saga, and we did not find one. Well, anyways, uh, number two shows a model of the Earth blowing up, and I don't know why they're showing that they're that model because that's not what they want, right? Yeah. Yes, I could make that happen, but I shall not. Oh, I see. I see. Rather, in five minutes, the energy within my android form will interact with that of a captive mutant. Oh, so. Wanda is the reason that this won't happen. Okay. So this is what he could make happen, but Wanda will prevent it because she's like the battery or whatever. This like would normally happen. And then we get Larry Trask's first vision coming true as number two blasts all the Avengers to the floor. But uh, Scarlet Witch, she's gotten herself out of the thing that she was in. Vision helped her with that. And she uses her hex power on the Sentinel's arms. Because Vision has uh, somehow snuck around and let her free. Uh, Vision takes out a couple of more Sentinels. Meanwhile, Larry Trask is kind of sneaking around. He doesn't quite know what needs to be done. But he knows that the planet is in danger and he's the only one that can do anything about it. And then he sees a shiny candy red button on the wall. He also realizes that the the blow-ups, that the earth blowing up that number two showed the Avengers was probably his other vision. Which is kind of stupid, right? Yeah, pretty stupid. 
If you're going to have precognition, are you going to have precognition of a movie that happens? <laughs> <laughs> but, so the only one left is the blackness, the void, which could only mean Earth's end. Yep. So he pushes that candy red button, and what happens is all of the mutants in the room start glowing yellow. It's Scarlet Witch, it's Larry Trask, and what's this? Number two is a mutant? Yes, so that thing was designed to uh, light up whoever the mutant was in the room. Larry Trask also goes on to say that, well, humans aren't supposed to be in this room, so this this should always be activated. It doesn't make any sense why this isn't activated. Right. Number two relays a story that, well, he got a little too close to the sun, and when he did, he evolved, somehow gathering powers that he didn't quite have before. Uh, he was given the full potential placed within him long ago by Bolivar Trask. So again, maybe these these Sentinels were designed by Bolivar Trask, but Larry Trask merely activated them a few years later. It could be. Uh, all right, I'll go that with that. would make more sense. I mean, what's the likelihood that Larry Trask could create a whole new set of... <laughs> he fires up a new Sentinel plant. <laughs> <laughs> But he's not. But like, I'm okay. It's not bad that I'm a mutant because I'm not. I can't conceive. I'm, I'm not going to have more offspring. I'm a sentinel. I'll live forever. There's no reason to worry about me. Get him, sentinels. Come on, get him. And the sentinels turn on number two. And they just sort of surround him and uh, and they destroy him. We are not programmed to obey mutants, number two, only to render them harmless. And since nothing short of oblivion can render you thus. Oblivion shall you have. Number two's scream is human, all too human for comfort or for feeling of triumph. Human, but mercifully brief. He's gone. He's melted like so much slag. In the next page, all of the other sentinels collapse, toppling on one another, and one stray sentinel lands on top of Larry Trask. Oh, no. Killed just like his father was. Could not know he died, the savior of the very human rage with his father's creations had menaced. And that's the blackness. That's the void. He foresaw his own death. Which is good, because that was a pretty cheesy kind of subplot. <laughs> so the Avengers climb out of the little land hole, and they take off. And they cover over... The anthill with rocks. Because maybe that'll help us forget. Just maybe. <laughs> we get a little note. Whoa, friend, we know the Pietro is still among the missing, though his fellow Avengers don't. Maybe we'll learn of his fate next issue when the Akraiga go once again goes out Avengers Assemble. Well, I'm going to give you a little spoiler. We will not find out about Pietro's fate in the next issue, but we will find out within this run of the mid-X-Men uh, series. So... Hang True that. Avengers 105. The, the November 1972 issue titled In the Beginning, the in the beginning was The World Within. Scripted by Steve Engelhart and drawn by John Basima and Jim Mooney. Yep, some Avengers storyline stuff happens. Black Panther shows up. I'm not really sure why, but they go down to Tierra del Fuego and somehow find a hidden tunnel that leads them into uh, the Savage Land. 
Scarlet Witch is like gone going insane searching for her brother and every time she hears something weird on the news is happening she's like we have to go there because it's possible that my brother could be there and so the Avengers all decide well okay it's probably not but whatever they go there Black Panther is with the group and he recognizes this as potentially the hidden realm of Kesar. A group of strange men appeared out of nowhere and kidnapped three scientists before anyone could stop them. So that's what they're going to ex- explore in Tierra, Tierra del Fuego. So, yep, they, they, they're they down in the Savage Land. Kesar does not make an appearance in this issue, sadly. No, a lot of things happen that mostly we don't care about. I think the only thing that we really do care about here is on page 12... Uh, Black Panther is rummaging through the ruins of a building and finds a costume, presumably the angels, though it's unfamiliar. But we recognize it as the avenging angel's costume, the red one. Right. Why should it be here? We know is there because Angel was in it when he crashed into Magneto's lair and... Magneto changed his costume to something else. To a blue costume. Yeah, to a blue and white costume. A little foreshadowing there. Quickly what leads up to that is they fight the uh, the Savage Land mutates, uh, who apparently have gone back from being regular people to being mutates again somehow. Yeah, that happens on page 14. They, they all appear. We got our Lupo, our Barbarous, our Brainchild. Brainchild, actually. Which one's the one that has, oh, mind of a machine and the emotions of a child? We actually get to see that play out in this issue, which we did not get to see play out in the X-Men. And then in the village of Magneto is where they, where Black Panther indeed discovers Angel's old costume. But no Magneto. And that's when they get jumped by the rest of the Savage Land mutates. Uh, Gaza, the blind giant who sees mentally. Barbarous, Lupo, Equilibrius. Uh, brainchild, and amphibious. And so they fight, and they fight, and they fight some more. Well, the verdict, no, the Equilibrious guy, I like this on page uh, 15, Equilibrious goes after Iron Man, and it looks like he's mixing up Iron Man's uh, head and mind and everything. But if you look at the very last page, like, I, this issue I found very hard to read, so I didn't really actually read it. I had to read it twice. Like, the first time I just skimmed it, I was like, this made no sense. I had to read it again. But if you look at this panel, it looks like uh, this guy, Equilibrius, has shifted around um, Iron Man's head or head and arm and put his arm where his head should be. Does where it, is that? The last panel on page 15. Now, I know he's, like, covering his eyes to the side, but if you just kind of look at that sideways, it looks like his arm is coming out of his neck. And I was like, oh, my God, is that what Vertigus's powers are or Equilibrius's <laughs> powers are, like rearrange body parts? That's messed up. I, I guess I can sort of see it that way if I kind of... If you just kind of, like... Ignore all reality. <laughs> well, obviously reality, but you can't really... Like, if you just kind of quickly look at it... You're going to have to use this as a panel, but um, <laughs> because like the head, you can kind of see like the, the top of his head. But if you're just giving it a quick look, it looks like a mound of back, just like on the right side. There's a mound of red, which is his side and back. I'm just saying. Yeah, like, I get what you're saying, but I, yeah, it, it, 
it you really had to describe that to me in order to see what you're talking about. But yeah, now I see it. <laughs> All right. So I, I did not see it before that description. So I had to like go back and read was like, what the hell happened to Iron Man? Like, it's really just a really weirdly drawn pose of Iron Man. Yeah, so they keep fighting. Uh, <laughs> the brainchild guy, he goes after Hawkeye. Hawkeye makes fun of him, and, and uh, brainchild's like, you can't say such things to me. I am fully human now, more than fully human. There's no trace of animalism in me a bit, not a bit. And then he falls over. <laughs> <laughs> Scarlet Witch gives uh, Gaza the blind barbarian sight, which... Um, Causes him to kind of just spout out things while attacking. I see light and color. I see. <laughs> and then Black Panther knocked him out. Yeah. And they, uh, the toad guy, I was, nobody will catch crafty old amphibious. When I was beaten by Kesar and the X-Men, I became a savage again. And since losing a second time might mean facing the same fate once again, I refuse to lose. So I guess we're never really told how the mutates go back from being swamp people to mutates. No. It, it just happened for some reason. Or did it? I, I don't, I'm looking at it now. I don't know. Maybe. Or or did a, a certain unseen mutant have something to do with it? We don't know. Oh, is this part of a grander plan? Mm. Perhaps. We do discover that Lorelei also is back. And uh, she has her powers, just like everyone else. And she manages to sway all of the men in the Avengers party. So uh, Sif and uh, Scarlet Witch are unaffected. They don't do anything about it. But uh, I think the point here is that Vision does. Vision is able to take out both uh, Equilibrius and Lorelei. And this leads to Vision's realization that he's not truly a man because he wasn't affected by Lorelai. And he goes off and cries. Yeah. <laughs> Wanda says, talk to me, darn you. He speaks, and his cold, inhuman android voice is deadly. My difficulty should be <laughs> obvious to anyone. I suspect you are asking me to here to deny it. <laughs> but no, though I am constructed in the semblance of a man... The she-mutant's power held no sway over me. It seems only humans are maybe affected by love. Scarlet Witch is like, I don't know why I love him so much. Maybe <laughs> it's that dreamy voice of his. <laughs> but meanwhile, he takes off. And she sheds a single tear. For she, can, she cannot be loved back by him, she now realizes. I'm not sure if they actually ever rescued the the uh, the scientists that were captured, because right after that little thing, they head back to their Avengers mansion. So again, I don't know what the heck the pl plot was here, but nothing really happened in this whole issue. The rescuing of three imprisoned scientists, the discovery that the Beast Brood had wanted them to evolve more mutants, the deliverance of the horde to Chilean authorities, the fruitless search for a sign of Pietro. So I guess what they're implying here is that these kidnapped scientists are the ones who re-evolved the mutants. Mm. Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's kind of vague. Yeah, it's very vague. Well, anyways, there you go. There are mutates. Just like you said at the end of our last mutate issue, uh, they do in fact come back. 
Scarlet Witch is upset. Uh, she thinks she found another place that Quicksilver might be, and so they all the Avengers go assemble, except for Vision, who pouts in the corner. He sits on a chair and holds his medallion. And that's the end of the issue. And I think that's the medallion that was given to him by Grim Reaper at the beginning of our epic four issues ago. Something about he could use that for the Simon Williams thing. But again, go listen to the Avengers cast for that. Moving on. Yeah, so what happens next? Um, where's uh, where's Magneto been? It looks like we are going to go back in time a little bit uh, to Fantastic Four number 102. The September 1970 issue. So this is a mere eight months after the last issue of the X-Men. And this reveals that... Namor is just like doing his Namor thing. He sees some smoke in the distance rising from a primitive isle. It's got, it's got uh, pteranodans. And then uh, at the bottom of a mighty explosion is, is, is Magneto. It's a survivor, a sole survivor. Namor, who should rightfully recognize Magneto from issue eight, I think, does not recognize him. Oh, he's got a slightly different costume. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, he fends off some pteranodons and some other dinosaurs and finds this man. And why does he say Imperius Rex? Is that just like a thing he says? Yeah, that's like his, it's clobbering time. Oh, jeez. Because I'm like, who's this Imperius Rex guy and why doesn't he show up? <laughs> well, anyways, so he discovers that Magneto is breathing. Again, he still doesn't seem to recognize Magneto. Uh, so he takes him to his underwater Namor land. The Fantastic Four do some stuff. I guess. <laughs> I guess the thing is. I guess the thing is sick. So then uh, Magneto is awake, and he is in uh, Namor's magic lab, where he he is having his magnetic powers magnified a hundredfold. With with the these devices and. Well, let's go back a second. So when we last saw Magneto. He he was ha he had these tubes on because he was having problems with his magnetic powers, right? Okay, so maybe maybe this is helping heal him or something. It, it looks like he hasn't quite connected up to them yet. Yeah, but, but he sees the potential. So you know, just like Namor, to just bring this strange guy and say, "Here's all of my electronic gadgetry. Help yourself. <laughs> I'm gonna be in the other room doing fish stuff." Namor calls him for a conference, and uh, we get a full-fledged spread of Namor just kind of sitting. He's got a robe on. <laughs> Neither you nor I truly are truly human, Namor. Neither of us will ever be trusted by the world above. Therefore, why do we not join forces? Think of it, Submariner. Your power combined with mine, who could hope to stand against us? And Namor says, we tried this once. It didn't work out. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> no, Namor has like, he's like, all right, fine, sure. Let's do it. There's much truth in the words you speak. Think upon it, Namor. Or uh, how does Magneto's voice go? Think upon it, Namor. <laughs> Think long and deep. So Magneto's got like this old grandfatherly face now in this, <laughs> just this panel, not none of the other ones, but just this one. Where he's like a trusting old man, like, yeah, that's the way. Um, I guess Reed Richards may be getting some 
magnetic forces that are playing havoc with the city, and it looks like it's coming from Atlantis. So, so he created some sort of missile that will like launch sonic waves at wherever the source of the magnetic magnetics are coming from, and Ben Grimm just pushes the button without waiting for it. What are you waiting for him? I'm waiting the bum. Dick. And uh, this causes, I guess, Namor's ship or Atlantis or whatever to start crumbling. Magneto, have him brought to me at once. There must be an inquiry. Speak. What do you know of the Delhi shockwave? I know more than you. Th- I know more than you think, Submariner. <laughs> I traced it magnetically within your laboratory. It was triggered in New York, the home of the Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah, that's where that's right where Magneto goes. It must be the Fantastic Four who did this. <laughs> so immediately they start heading out to Fantastic Four land. There's a there's a torpedo coming out, and Namor swims out to meet it and and stops it. But now Magneto is thinking to himself, "I must continue goading him, make him feel he fights a noble crusade to save his people." So long as men feel the end can justify the means, so long will Magneto have a chance to destroy the human race. The fools. So Magneto, uh, I, I think we've established this. He's still wearing the costume that he had in the in the um, Savage Land. But the way he's his mask is drawn, like his face is wider and wider open. Like there's more of his face being revealed. And it looks kind of cool. Yeah, it's definitely a redesign of the, the mask. Yeah. So maybe that's what Namor gave him. Like, welcome to my underground fish land. Here's a new mask. Yeah, that's his, that's Magneto's idea. Is that he's just going to uh, goad uh, Submariner into kind of, um, I don't know, giving Magneto the ability to take over. And uh, that's where we leave off with uh, seeming war coming from the sea to the shore. The Fantastic Four are like, oh... Magneto does come to his mirror or Submariner and say, hey, you must let me battle at your side. This is kind of like how Hitler took over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they, that's right. Hitler used to talk like this. <laughs> so Fantastic Four number 103, October 1970. An interesting fact, this, this issue is called At War with Atlantis. It's by Stan Lee and John Romita. We, we forgot to mention the previous one. Oh, yeah. It was by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. It was Jack Kirby's last issue. He had quit. He left Marvel Comics altogether a few months earlier. Hmm. And uh, he had just been putting together a, a few issues in the can. But there was a big question over whether Marvel could survive without him. Obviously, they couldn't. <laughs> Obviously, that was the end of the mighty comic book franchise known as Marvel. Like at that point, Kirby was pretty much doing the stories all on his own without work from Stanley, and then Stanley would just write the scripts in. Okay. So by the by this point, the story is pretty phoned in. Is what I'm trying to get at here. Oh no! Kirby wonder. was just like, I'm on my way out. Whatever, Magneto, let's do this. Because <laughs> this this was not a this was not an easy read. <laughs> Well, anyways, uh, we're back in Atlantis. Magneto and Submariner are looking at a Vizzy screen of the uh, Fantastic Four. I guess we should mention that it's the original Fantastic Four plus Crystal. Crystal's there. Crystal being uh, the Human Torch's inhuman girlfriend. Correct. Yay. Yay. So 
the fish boats launch <laughs> and fantastic four launch we get, we get to see how uh namor is still trying to be a delegate and and be smart about it and not start a war straight out without at least having some discussion and magneto's kind of like or i got to figure out how to trick him into doing this the fantastic four talk to nixon tell him look before you send out the army, just give us a chance. We're the Fantastic Four. Very well, you will have your chance. But let me make one thing perfectly clear. Our armed forces will be ready in case you fail. You know, I never really liked uh, when they rendered presidents, like real presidents in the comic books. Because again, just like when you mentioned the date, it kind of locks them into that time period. And they'll do this with, I think, just about, I think every president gets a rendering in a comic book somewhere but well magneto was in the holocaust yeah that's true so how old is magneto well i mean if you know he was a teenager in 1942 he, you know, he'd be 15 plus you know 75 he'd be like 82 or 83 he'd be pretty yeah. old Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's conceivable. He's, he keeps himself fit. You know, he probably eats all organic and <laughs> grass-fed, you know. Does calisthenics. Anyways, uh, yeah, <laughs> so off the Fantastic Four go uh, to save the world. Reed sends Susan off with their son Franklin to the babysitter, <laughs> yep. and then they take off. That's because the Fantastic Car only holds four people, hence the name Fantastic Four. That's because Reed Richards is a jerk. <laughs> he is. Meanwhile, they're they're conducting their little war. Uh, Magneto finds his chance for some reason. I guess Submariner's back is turned to him, so he uses his magnetic power to launch a, a missile or something. At the Fantastic Car. At which point Namor is like, oh, no, man. So he jumps out and goes after it. Johnny Storm says, Namor must be guiding it. That means he's out for blood. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> Hold tight. Our built-in jamming ray will make it detonate before it reaches us. We did it. The concussion caught Namor, too. So Namor goes flying into the water. Uh, thing jumps after him. And Magneto seizes control. He takes over the, well, Namor's ship. That he does. He makes everybody his loyal subject. He ties everybody to the wall. <laughs> Sue Storm goes to some creepy old lady's house and leaves the baby there. And she heads back to the war, I guess. Yeah, she does. She heads back out. Magneto uh, sees her. And is able to magnetically take control of this mini fantastic car and makes her crash into the water. Splash! Are you getting these? Uh, are you seeing these half pages? Yeah. This was a this was a uh, money saving technique. Yeah. Yeah. In order to go from twenty, it's so that they had they could pay the artists less. Oh. So they go from, instead of giving them like a 22-page rate or whatever it was, they went down to a 21-page rate. I always I, I, So the half page, for those of you listening, is like a couple of panels on top, then some ads on the bottom. I thought it was just so that they could just bring more focus to these ads. And if you had ads on a page with actual comic content, you would have to pay more for that spot. 
No, it was actually just it was Martin Goodman's idea it's, it's of a way to cut back the, the the art so that the magazine would cost less money and therefore make more money. That's funny. Just another way to screw the artist. <laughs> uh, Magneto brings the mini Fantastic Car into the little Namor ship and kidnaps uh, Sue Storm. And uh, we get a fight scene between uh, Namor and the Thing. Namor is uh, dominant underwater, but above water, Thing is better, but they're underwater, so Namor wins the day. He comes back up and notices that his flagship is gone, and that's when the rest of the Fantastic Four see Namor, so flame on... He comes running around, shooting at him. Mr. Fantastic rescues the thing by making himself stretchy. <laughs> you know, I never really liked the Fantastic Four. Namor attempts to get back to his ship, and um, this thing stops him from getting inside, and they're fighting on top of the ship, at which point Magneto reveals that he has not just Sue Storm held hostage, but also Lady Dorma. Namor's lady love. It looks like Dorma is kind of crying a little bit. She Maybe she just has dots under her eyes. I don't know. <laughs> all right. And so now Reed is all like, what? Look at this expression on his face. Like, there's no time to be logical. Let's get him. <laughs> no, he doesn't say Wait, that. Wait, Dorma is trying to tell us. It looks like she's got permanent tears it does. coming out of her eyes. Uh, forgive me, my lord, I was lured into your flagship, thinking it was you. I beg, blah, blah, blah. You must do what must be done. And they both, well, Namor threatens Magneto, saying don't hurt her, otherwise the entire power of Atlantis will get her. And the comic book ends with both Reed Richards and Submariner looking out the back, all all mopey over their girls. Yeah, it's very Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> totally. You can see that medical frigate flying by in the background. <laughs> Next issue, number 104, which was published in November 1970, one month prior to the X-Men reprints beginning, is called Our World Enslaved, and it's by Stan Lee and John Romita. Ooh, and John Vorporten is back. Oh, and yeah, he's, he's doing some inking. Yep, so now I guess uh, the Fantastic Four and Namor have decided to team up to uh, save the world from Magneto. Off they fly around. Uh, I think Magneto's shooting down satellites, shooting down aircraft, shooting down boats. Namor's are like, I can go handle this chump. But then Reed Richards reminds him, hey, they have our women. Chill. <laughs> Chill out. And uh, they formulate a plan that Namor is going to work for Magneto and, and basically say, okay, I'll, I'll do, you're obviously in control and I will, I will be obedient to you. And, uh, Namor doesn't like this plan, but he's going to do it. But, uh, as Namor approaches the boat, Magneto says that he knew it. He knew that Submariner would return to serve Magneto. Magneto has a, has a huge ego. Yes, just as all mankind shall one day serve the monarch of mutants. He's changed voices. <laughs> Yay! That's what, that's what power does to him. He gets all happy. Of course this place is here fighting them with me. Come, Submariner. 
<laughs> Get to one of the battle cruisers, take command, and lead the attack in the name of Magneto! Yay! It's going to be fun! So, off Namor goes, uh, and he does give a little reminder, make sure that no harm comes to the women. The president, uh, Nixon, is disappointed with the Fantastic Four. I'm no longer impressed by your rhetoric. This is a sad day for America. Our largest city has been inv successfully invaded by legions of the Atlantis, and now you tell me that Namor is not the enemy? It makes no sense. It boggles the mind. You're really, President, I promise. And the Fantastic Four go to attack the forces of Atlantis on the ground. Inside the ship, Sue calls Magneto a coward. You call me a coward? I who can free you with a gesture? And then sets her free. She turns invisible. He starts magnetically attracting things to her body so that he can figure out where she is. But she puts up an invisible force field. Uh, Magneto threatens to kill Dorma. And Sue's like, no, I don't want Dorma to die. I couldn't let him kill you. But now, Sue, we both are lost. Magneto reigns supreme. The world is mine. And uh, Magneto takes up a stronghold in New York City where he's got glass containers, one of Sue Storm on his left around his throne, one filled with water with Lady Dorma on the right. Um, they decide to go take over the Baxter building, but the Baxter building is defended, at which point Reed Richards pulls out well, an electronic converter gun. The more energy Magneto emits, the more it converts it against him. And now Magneto is trapped in a cone of his own magnetic devices. And that that's it. Everybody's happy. <laughs> and the thing says, hey, what about this creep? How do I get in so I can clobber him? And Reed's like, "Don't worry, the militia will arrive, and then they'll they'll uh, they'll take care of them. Don't worry, let's go." Basically, that's how they leave Magneto uh, is for the trusted hands of the government to come and uh, uh, capture him, I guess, and imprison him. Yeah, is that possible, Adam? Well, we'll find out in Amazing Adventures number nine, the yeah, November nineteen seventy one issue which features the Inhumans. This one's called And the Madness of Magneto. It is written by Jerry Conway and arted by Mike Sikowski. This one was rough to get through. I don't know about you, but I don't care about the Inhumans. I think they're kind of neat as a concept, but otherwise boring. Yeah, I don't know. They're from the moon, so it's hard for me to relate to them. Uh, but basically, the the takeaways here is you got a guy named Black Bolt, and Black Bolt's power is like if he talks, he's very destructive. Right. And so he never talks unless he's destroying stuff. At the beginning of this issue, he has amnesia. Who's the guy that's in this plain clothes? Is that Black Bolt? Yeah, that's Black Bolt. Okay. Well, a lot of stuff happens, and it's not very exciting until we get to a about page nine and it's still not exciting but uh one of the guys was captured and brought to an underground lair and it turns out that 
it's Magneto's lair. Right. Magneto's men kidnapped Black Bolt in plain clothes and they put him back in his outfit. And these Magneto's men are like mutant man children with hunchbacks and crazy masks or not masks, but faces and just a bunch of really weird mutants. And they all talk like toad master. Watch how he squirms. He is very strong master. Very strong. And apparently he's tied up in ancient Chinese bands. Any straining only draws them tighter. Hmm. It's interesting. That. Let Obar crush him, creator. Let Obar change him. It has been a long time since Obar played. So <laughs> I guess Obar may be the guy that like creates these crazy, ugly mutant people. Magneto is talking about his pets to Black Bolt. He punches Black Bolt in the face. Uh, he talks about how he retrieved the costume. Really don't know what's going on here. <laughs> uh, the Inhumans continue to look for him. And then, starting on page 14, we get a flashback to how Magneto got out of the 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 ma- anti-magnetic force shield, as they call it here. They locked him up in a giant cell of plastic. Like from the movie X2. Yeah, very much like Walls, it. pure plastic. I cannot control even their body's minerals. Blast, the shielding suit. Am I done? Trapped alone, one question burned within me. How can I escape? And I found an answer for months. I trained my body, just like Batman. And through the disciplines of Zen and Yoda. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I don't know who this man is, but he's not Magneto. This is totally Magneto. He grows curly hair. He starts looking like Doctor Who. You're telling me that Magneto grew curly brown hair? Uh Uh-huh. He grew curly brown hair when he used to be an old man with white hair. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? That this is not some weird, strange man? This is actually (laughs) Magneto. Yep. Okay. Well... We got we got him doing some yoga poses. He's like on his on on his hands upside down. Oh boy! The uh, <laughs> do I envision their faces twisted with horror and surprise as they heard the mighty rending and saw no weapon. Somehow he's managed to make a weapon. No weapon saved that energy within my own body. All the strength buried within my mutant cells was utilized, and with one solidifying burst, I became a human projectile. Free! Never shall they hold me again, for I have tasted of darkness, and of the, and now my soul soars, and the time of planning is over, and the time of action is now. So apparently, as he's busting through this cell... He is able to go from his white underwear and wife beater shirt and somehow make a Magneto costume. Yeah, they left his costume in there because it didn't really matter. But <laughs> oh. when he was meditating, he took it off. But before he jumped through it, uh, like some sort of human dart, he put his costume on. And so we're back to the future, back to the future, but we're back to the present where we're caught up about how he got caught up and he's asking Black Bolt if he will join him. Black Bolt can't answer because <laughs> if he does, he'll destroy stuff. The rest of the Inhumans show up to rescue Black Bolt, but uh, they're, they're stopped and ultimately kidnapped by Magneto and his hordes of, of weirdo looking mutants. I've tested your powers. I've seen your strength. Your mutants all. Now this game is finished, and so are you. These four were the last, and with both their power and the power of my most secret creation, 
none shall stand against me. He's always got a secret creation. And then we cut to uh, this guy, Joey, who was Black Bolt's only friend when he lost his memory because he's going to be important somehow. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Then we cut to Amazing Adventures number 10, which is the January 1972 issue. And I got to say that this issue, the artwork takes a drastic uh, a turn for the worst. Mike Sikowski is tired. <laughs> Magneto's helmet in the cover and this entire issue kind of looks a lot like Major Blood's helmet from G.I. Joe. <laughs> This one's called In His Hand, The World. It's written by Jerry Conway and drawn by Mike Sikowski. And in this first panel, I cannot tell whose limbs belong to who. Because there are perspective problems and body parts going every which way. Yeah, it's colored kind of weird, too. Everything about this panel is just a disaster. And so Magneto's kind of like, Oh, you're all tied up, and now I'm going to go do something. And in the very next panel, now he's sitting in like an organ, and he's using <laughs> a gun to shoot something. He's playing a video game. Create the mutant video game. And and we go to like the third panel on this page, too, and his, his helmet is getting wider and wider, and his face is getting more gargoyle-like. <laughs> it's this, uh, uh, really, like this, this Jeff Sikowski guy or whoever, Mike, Mike. Sikowski. He he does not care at all about this. <laughs> Just got to get this issue done. Just got to get this issue done. I'm so tired. Well, he brings out a monster, and his costume is also changed. Like, he used to have a breastplate, and now he has no breastplate. Now he's just got, like, a purple shirt on. He's like, I no longer need this breastplate. I'm going to be, I'm old man in this one. I'm just going to wear red underwear with my purple unitard. Anyways, he's able to somehow corrupt the brain of Black Bolt, and he gets Black... Using some other mutant. He uses Black Bolt to join uh, his team. And apparently, uh, somewhere along the line, Magneto was able to steal a fantastic car or build one or whatever, but he's got like a little flying ship. And they sneak into some sort of lab. What page are you on? Oh, I jumped ahead to page 11. You gotta slow down, pal. Oh, no. <laughs> Meanwhile, Joey is waking up trying to figure his world out. Uh, he falls into the sewers where everybody is. Black Bolt and Magneto are attacking the dark interior in southern Washington. I don't, I'm not entirely sure why. It's some sort of army base. And the other Inhumans back at Magneto's lab escape. And I got to point out on, on page nine, this laboratory or whatever they're attacking... Magneto's face is so gleeful uh, <laughs> on the second and third panel. The third panel, he's got this missile and like his mask has gotten wider somehow. And he's just got this, this, this crazy grin on his face. And that's when the Inhumans escape Magneto and Black Bolt. What are they, what are they stealing exactly? It looks like a missile or like a warhead or something. I really don't know. And I don't know that I care. <laughs> They head back to the lair, and the Inhumans who have escaped uh, surprise Magneto, and they start punching him and kicking him. And uh, it turns out that Black Bolt was never under uh, Magneto's control, and you've waited hours for this instant, Black Bolt. You've maintained the, pre or the pretense. You've resisted the power. And now you lash out! Yeah. 
he sings a song, I guess. And uh, when he does, he blows a bunch of things up. Yeah, he kills the brain monster, I think. Magneto's still carrying around his uh, missile. So he's starting to realize that he's losing. He runs into a closet and it blows up. <laughs> yeah, he tries to get to some sort of universe machine, but um, one of the Inhumans destroy the universe machine. But he realizes maybe if I detonate this bomb, I can kill everybody. And he runs away and blows up the bomb. The glory of the honor forever, Magnios! And um, the room behind explodes, but somehow none of the Inhumans die. The face has like a, or the explosion has like a face in it. Yeah, it's weird. So is that like Magneto like screaming as he's blowing up? I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if it's supposed to be something or not. I guess it it, it must be. Hmm. It's a weird looking face though. Well anyways, this this building is blown to smithereens. They're we're, they're outside now. Uh and the inhumans I guess this is the last inhumans story for uh Amazing Tales as they Well that's right, because Amazing Adventures eleven is the first beast story. Yep. Which we're not going to do. Yeah, I guess the story continues in Avengers 95, but again, go listen to the Avengers cast. Speaking of the Avengers, our next Magneto tale uh, takes place in Avengers 110, um, the April 1973 issue. I believe at this point, Roy Thomas is now editor-in-chief, and Stan Lee is now publisher and president of Marvel Comics. Yes, sir, I do believe. And this one is called, and now, Magneto. We get Steve Englehart as our writer, and, oh boy, Don Heck. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a pretty good Don Heck, though, but, you know, comparatively. Actually, it is. Steve Englehart, you remember, is having wrote the whole Beast saga. The Avengers are practicing. So we kind of pick up where we left off from the Avengers tale uh, of the Sentinels, where it turns out that Crystal of the Fantastic Four was able to teleport into the Sentinel base in Australia with that big dog whose name I... Lockjaw, that's the dog's name. And they found Quicksilver, and Crystal nursed him back to health, and I think they fell in love. Who knows what happened to Johnny Storm, but whatever. And so, you know, this is how hypocritical Quicksilver is. He's just like, Crystal and I are to be married. And Scarlet Witch is like, that's wonderful, for me and the Vision have declared our love for each other as well. And Quicksilver loses it. <laughs> what? After my repeated warnings against such a tra- travesty? And then he says, basically, I am the head of the family. I forbid that you love that thing. Call me when you come back to your senses. I will not call you. So I got to be honest, as I'm going through these readings, it is kind of interesting to see how all of these subplots connect together. Mm-hmm. And it is actually a little bit kind of satisfying that they interconnected uh, as they did as we try to follow the X-Men's tales. But anyways, uh, let's just skip forward a little bit. We get bit. a panel of how all the Avengers are kind of embarrassed about Wanda and Vision. If Pietro thinks it's weird, how will the outside world think? No. A mutant dating an android. Cats and dogs living together. Massive and nobody wants to tell Hawkeye about it. Right, right. And that'll actually 
maybe come up later if we decide to talk about it. Anyways, uh, the Vizzy screen is cleared, and apparently a communications, a new communication comes on. Uh, some random helicopter pilot is filming the X-Men. The Avengers don't recognize, despite the fact that Iron Man has been there in Avengers number three when he was looking for the Hulk, he showed up and during a danger room session. I, I don't know. Anyway, he doesn't, it's been so long. He doesn't remember it. But what's happening here is there's a camera that's swooping through. And generally in comic books, it'll just be like a mystery camera that somebody magically has. But here they're actually like addressing, like, I don't know what's happening here. We're zooming into the, the house the, through the door and there's a man and the man looks up and it's Professor X and he looks at the camera and he says, what, have you come back to gloat? You'll get no satisfaction from me, you fiend. You may have destroyed my students. So it's as if somebody filmed this and then piped it into the Avengers computer. So it's kind of a neat idea. I, was it live, maybe? I don't know. I think it was. But I think it's kind of cool that uh, they actually kind of addressed it and didn't make it like some magical mystery camera. Yeah. They recognize Professor X from Sue Reed and Sue Richard's wedding, but they forget his name. <laughs> well, Thor doesn't. And then Thor remembers, that image gone. However, I have seen a no, you know, I've seen a no for the God of Thunder doth remember that man. He did speak me to me once in my mind. He be Charles Xavier, mentor to the long hidden X-Men. Long hidden. So yeah. they're kind of hidden. Yeah. 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 I guess that works with what we've been, yeah. you know, seeing. They were they were fighting crime and and now they've been kind of uh, in hiding. So yeah, yeah. Thor's Thor's hip to what's going on. So off the um, Avengers go to the X Mansion to find out what is going on. There's a bunch of other stuff that happens that we don't care about. <laughs> yeah, they all have some. They all they're all questioning the uh, bizarre love between Wanda and Vision on the way over. But then they find the mansion and they walk in to find it totally destroyed. Uh, they find Cyclops and Marvel Girl passed out, and Iceman as well. Then they discover Professor X, Captain America, and Scarlet Witch run into the room to save or to to collect Professor X, I guess. But the door slams shut behind them. A device of many wires and poles, a Cerebro, uh, attacks them. <laughs> Wait a minute, Cerebro can attack people? Well, it 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 does now. As Wanda will shortly point out, it must be, she doesn't point it out for a couple pages, but eventually she does point out the fact that it's Magneto. It's got to be. Captain America is also talking about his new super strength. Yeah, apparently he got super strength. So that'll probably come up again sometime. But So this thing's attacking them for some reason. Uh, they pull uh, Marvel Girl, Cyclops, Iceman, and I think they find, uh, Iron Man finds the angel, and they carry them outside. Some rocks attack them. And you're right, uh, Wanda at this point is like, all right, somebody's just playing with us, uh, making a joke out of it, and it's got to be Magneto. Strangely enough, the X-Men are back in their new costumes. Oh, yeah, you're right. They Are they? Yeah, they're, they're in their latest costumes rather than their, their early costumes. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yep, they sure are. Angel's not shirtless. No, Angel's in his, I think he's in his white and blue costume, blue and white right. costume. They have found no sign of Magneto, though, so nobody knows quite what's going on. But then they hear some flute music. 
Dun, dun, dun. Beyond the flute music, a bunch of dinosaurs who were living on the mansion's property, I guess, come out and attack the Avengers. Oh, and there's, there's like rocks being thrown around and they're having to dodge the rocks. And Black Panther mentions that when they went to the Savage Land, there was no sign of Magneto. And that's when the dinosaurs show up. Well, the Avengers killed the dinosaurs for the most part. Yeah, there's a scene here of uh, Iron Man breaking one of the dinosaurs' necks. It's pretty rough. Yeah. There's a dead T-Rex on the ground. What I want to know is, like, when all of this is all said and done, like, how does the professor and the X-Men explain all these dead dinosaurs on the property? <laughs> they see a man in a hood blowing a whistle, and it is a man, I believe, whom the last time we saw him, Casar uh, had shoved the food up his nose. No, what happened was that... Kesar applied his thumb to the guy's oh, oh, forehead. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah, okay. okay. And knocking the guy unconscious. No. Apparently did not kill him. It certainly looked like he killed him. It definitely looked like we killed him. Okay. The rocks surround the piper and they can't get through. And then on page 27, a man who's wearing the angel's costume, who's removed angel's wings but has white hair and looks strikingly like Magneto, stands up. Well, it is Magneto wearing Angel's costume. <laughs> it is Magneto, but he's wearing Angel's costume. What the? Yes, and for a reason you could never begin to suspect. Yet this uniform has served me in a more immediate manner. Also, for with its hood pulled up, counterfeit wings affixed to my back in the age of the mansion's darkness, I fooled Iron Man into bringing me to your ship. I want these mutants you've kindly carried here, and I shall have them. Uh, Magneto throws some crap around, some rocks, boulders, grabs Scarlet Witch. His helmet shows up at some point, and he starts wearing it. That's after they get in the ship, it looks like. Maybe he just, like, crafted it out of, like, some, some additional metal. <laughs> He's got X-Men and Avengers unconscious alike inside of his jet. Apparently, he left Thor, Black Panther, and Vision behind. This issue continues in Daredevil 99, but really the only thing they do in Daredevil 99 is go get Daredevil and then bring him back to be in the next Avengers comic. Yeah, and Daredevil 99 is called The Mark of Hawkeye. In this issue of Avengers that we just did, Hawkeye had just broken up with Scarlet Witch and was going to see his old flame, the Black Widow, so it goes to where the Daredevil and the Black Widow are hanging out. Daredevil and him get into a fight. The Avengers show up to recruit Daredevil and end up recruiting Black Widow too. And Hawkeye gets mad and leaves. And that's it. Yep. So Avengers 111. Uh, I like the cover on this. Uh, it looks like Magneto's driving a car into the Avengers. He's all <laughs> crazy looking. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I'm going to run you down with my car. <laughs> Um, this is the May 1973 issue called, titled With Two Beside Them, uh, starring, uh, starring, being written by Steve Englehart with art by Don Heck. And it is revealed here that Magneto's power has been so enhanced and practiced that he now controls minds. The mind of a human or a mutant is nourished by blood, and that crimson fluid also carries certain natural chemicals used by the brain from one part to another. Blood, Piper, has a large percentage of iron in its makeup, and therefore I can control minds. So a couple of things here. Remember last week I was talking about the uh, 
nicknames that I hated so much. I guess Daredevil was Hornhead. Really? <laughs> we got to call him Hornhead. Can't call him Daredevil. Uh, but that's not the, the weirdest thing. The weirdest thing is, based on everything we know about Magneto and Scarlet Witch, Magneto has controlled the Scarlet Witch to do a little sexy dance for him. <laughs> I guess he doesn't know what we know yet. <laughs> I really, you know, I, I don't actually know how that comes to be, the storyline that we're talking about. Uh, so, uh, I don't know. I guess just keep this issue in mind if and when we ever get there. It should also be noted that the Piper is here, and uh, someone was nice enough to bring the professor's wheelchair. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> Very kind of them. Yeah, I mean, it's just so creepy. Meanwhile, I mean, he's going through his little diatribe about how he can control blood and stuff, and um, uh, Scarlet Witch is dancing around. And he really seemed to show uh, some uh, strong desires and interest in her in the last issue, like, this one's coming with me. <laughs> And it, it, it could be forgiven, like, look, it's my daughter, and I want to take her with me, and she doesn't know yet, but this one's coming with me. But this little dance she's got him doing? Creepy. Yeah, it's very creepy. Oh, anyways. And uh, he realizes that the Avengers are probably going to continue coming after him, but they're down to three, so he doesn't really care. Yeah, little does he know that old Hornheads is with him. <laughs> and uh, old Black Widow's... Is... Oh, yeah. Blackie or witty. <laughs> As you want to. They can't call her Blackie. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Redhead. Uh, so we go up to page, uh, we go to page seven and we realize that Magneto is controlling everybody and everything that's around him. He's controlling the X-Men. He's controlling the Avengers. There's this party or like this high business party or something that's going on. He's controlling all of them as well. Yeah. Jean Grey switches into some new random outfit. She's got brown hair, too. Yeah, she's got brown hair. Iceman looks like he's got a wig on. Yeah, he's just controlling them to do random things. Iceman uh, secures some of these guys with his ice. I guess Cyclops gets punched by one of them, and this is when Magneto's like, oh, oh I, I, I guess I can't be everywhere at once. This is a meeting of a group of people who are discussing the threat of the capture of an atomic base by a person unknown. And that's why Magneto shows up is because he wants their atomic base. Absolutely. Who wouldn't? So he kidnaps all of the people at this party by using his brain techniques. Thor comes after him, but Captain America stops him because Captain America is under Magneto's control. Yep. Their ship takes off and creates all this smoke, and uh, Black Panther throws Daredevil at the ship, not realizing he's blind. Daredevil's got this internal monologue about, nobody can know that I'm blind, otherwise they might know I'm Matt Murdock. Such a terrible <laughs> storyline. So old Hornhead, hand, heads, uh, Hornhead. <laughs> Hornhead. <laughs> sure, whatever. He's hanging on to the side of the ship, and it's like, this is going to be the deal breaker, right? They went all the way to San Fran to go get Daredevil to bring him along this mission. This is going to be the moment, but no. Magneto electrifies the outside of the ship, and Hornhead's, <laughs> Hornhead goes fallen. Then we get some uh, interesting interplay between Black Widow and Daredevil 
Black Widow saves Daredevil's lives. Daredevil, grab my widow's web. Please, it's your only chance. And then Daredevil says, got it, Tosh. But I wouldn't say it was my only chance. Not when I've still got my billy club. Thanks for thinking of me, though, honey. Your heart's in the right place. Then he thinks to himself, blast. Why did I have to say that? <laughs> yeah, he. you know, I, I always thought uh, Daredevil was kind of a more, uh, had more depth to his character, but he really comes off 2D in these last couple of issues I've read of him. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Maybe it's when Frank Miller writes him where you're like, oh, this is a good character. But before that, you're like, God, this guy sucks. So uh, they, uh, the Avengers reassemble with one another, but they realize that the Vision is gone, um, and they don't know where he is. Oh, man. So Magneto has taken the Avengers, these atomic men, and the flute player to his underground lab and talks about his followers. I got to say, Mastermind looks a lot different than he's ever looked here. He's got blonde hair and like a white mustache. He kind of looks like Commissioner Gordon. (laughs) He does. He plans to create even more mutants, an army of them, and you... Uh, dudes are going to give me the key that I spoke of before. You are going to tell me how I may gain access to all the atomic power in this country so that I can loose it on the populace. And they're like, no. And he's like, all right, well, I'll take over your brains then. So now we get uh, down to, I kind of like, I mean, it's kind of stupid here, but I kind of like how they connect it back to why did Magneto give Angel a different costume in the first place? Well, first we get a flashback on how he survived Amazing Adventures 9 and 10. Oh, we did? <laughs> um, what, oh, there it is. Apparently, he says it's the same, the same idea. Uh, the device I plan to use exploded, releasing radiation faithful, faithful to non-mutants. So it was an explosion, but it didn't hurt anybody. As it was, I was badly injured and spent those months fighting my way back to limited health. Yet now I am whole again due to my masterful plans. And okay. this is where you were, what you were talking about, where it comes kind of interesting. The costume that he gave Angel way back in X-Men 57 or whatever. Apparently, the thought was that he would put this costume on Angel, let Angel fly it around for a while, and the suit itself would uh, absorb the youthful mutant energy. And then at a time that was right for the plucking, Magneto could strike and take that costume and use it to rebirth himself. At that moment, Magneto was reborn. When the X-Men discovered me, it was too late. I bested them all by controlling their brains and then laid a trap for the Avengers. Mistaking me for the angel in the dark, they were easy prey. I really hate how they keep just making up powers for Magneto. (laughs) Yeah, he can read minds, he can control minds, and magnetics. He, He can do whatever he wants to. He's got little guns he fires. Yeah, he's becoming way too powerful. He needs a reset. Yeah, I think you're right. The Avengers show up after a time, and they crash through. I guess it's Thor who decides to hit the side of the wall, and they fall through and find the controlled Avengers and X-Men. Magneto has them attack, so they fight some more. Yeah, there's a, there's fight. Avengers versus Avengers, X-Men versus Avengers. Cyclops versus Daredevil. At some point, Magneto just realizes... All right, this is dumb. I've let them fight, and it's cool because fighting is fun, but I can control their brains, so I'm just going to control everybody. And then he says, right, Piper? (laughs) And then Piper sneaks up behind him, 
smacks him on the back of the neck, knocking him unconscious. Turns out that the Piper was taken over by the Vision. Who knows how long ago, but it's been for quite some time. It's a, a power that a Vision apparently doesn't use so often because if he doesn't do it just right, he could potentially permanently damage the human host. So uh, they've knocked out uh, Magneto. The X-Men go their way. Which is fairly important. We get a, uh, I can recall everything that happened when I was in our foe's power, and I can see by reading your minds that you fared similarly, my X-Men. But that leads me to a terrible question. What has happened to the angel? That's right, oh, says a, a, a strange-looking brunette. Iron Man searched our mansion and we couldn't find him. I fear the X-Men may have been saved from one dilemma only to be plunged directly into a worse one. You called it Prof, as we shall see in the near future. Kind of tells me, like, they've got, like, this little story worked out, but they're not exactly sure when next, where or when the next uh, issue will strike. It's true. Otherwise, they'd be like, continued in. But anyways, the the uh, the Avengers take off. Uh, old Hornheads and Black Widow, they kind of split up. Apparently, they were dating, but now they broke up. They both get offers to join the Avengers, and Daredevil's like, no, I'm solo, because it would be... It would be too hard for him to keep his secret, and he would be confused with all his senses, the way his senses worked around a team. But Black Widow's like, uh, you know what, I'm going to stay. She, he leaves, and she's like, oh, Matt, why don't you ever understand me? So we don't actually get to see what their grand plan is with Magneto. Uh, I guess the Avengers lock him up, maybe? Oh, we'll find out. <laughs> We'll find out, but not this week, folks. I fear we've run into the end of our episode. So we're going to take a break here, folks, and uh, we will hopefully wrap it up with the next exciting installment of 1970 to 1975 X-Men issues assorted. (laughs) Brought to you by The Danger Room. Feel free to Incorporated. send us a, a little bit of feedback over at our iTunes page. Visit us at www.redcapproductions.com forward slash danger room. Visit us at facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast or hook up to our Twitter feed at go danger at danger room go. And there you go. Do it. <laughs> Do it now. We will come back uh, next week, and uh, it's probably going to take us another two hours. But we will get through this. We will get through this half a decade worth of story to get to the final (laughs) destination, which is giant-sized X-Men. You know it. You want it. You'll wait for it because, well, we did all this reading, and we're not going to let it go to waste. And you know you want to hear what happened. Yeah. I know I want to hear what happened. So, until next week, the Danger Room is closed. Yeah!